Man, it is just, again, so grateful to be at a place where we can be a community that loves the Lord and also loves each other. And so, listen, as we've been moving into this season where we're preparing to celebrate Advent, we're actually closing the series on the Lord's Prayer. And as a church, we have been in a season of intentional focus on being a people that pray like our lives depend on it. That's the vision that we're confident God has given us for the next year. So when people are like, what is your church about? What are you really focused on this year? We want to pray like our life depends on it. That's our vision for this year. We want to be a people who depend on the Lord, who seek his will for our lives, who listen to him, who go to him with our needs, because that is how God has designed us to work. And one of the most clear, explicit pictures of what it looks like to seek God in prayer is how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And we've been looking at the passage in Luke that goes through Jesus teaching his disciples to pray. And last week, we talked about this idea that we are called into shameless prayer, that God wants us, desires us to come to him, to inconvenience him as he's able to be inconvenienced as the sovereign Lord of the universe, to knock on the door with anything and everything we would need with no worries that we would be met with anything other than a God who's going to show up for us. And so last week, as Jesus is closing out this teaching, he focused on how we should go to the Father. He said, we should go shamelessly. We should go persistently. We should go boldly. We should be a people that radically seek the face of God. And so last week we talked about that. But even as we talked about that, I think there's something in us that gets nervous at that idea, right? Like, okay, I can do that, but how's God going to respond to me? Is he going to be annoyed? Is he there at all? Is he going to be angry? What does God do with a shameless people? Who is God? And it's, it's, I think, important for us to note that as Jesus is closing this teaching on prayer, he doesn't close with what the people do or how the disciples perform. He closes with the character and person of God. And he's going to focus on how God responds to his people. Here, here's, here's how he responds. He's going to respond as a loving father. He's going to respond as a loving father. And this is hard for a lot of us because for some of us, we grew up in a home where the, the office of father was held by someone who was abusive, maybe physically or verbally or spiritually. We were maybe in a home where the role of father was just non-existent. It was absent. And so when we hear God responding to us, as a loving father, it brings up some confusion, frustration, baggage, difficulty, maybe even just like, I don't even know what that looks like. And so what Jesus does is he's going to paint this picture of what a loving father looks like. Then he's going to paint a picture of why God is a better father. Okay. And so Really, at the end of the day, what we're going to see is a loving father who gives his children gifts. Um, that's appropriate. It is almost Christmas. So really the day after Halloween, we got the Christmas ads coming. Um, we've got the catalogs. We've got the online. We've got everything. And so I want you to think about maybe, uh, maybe when is a time that you have received a gift that was really bad. What's like the worst gift you've received? And I know we're in church. We're supposed to be thankful for all of the gifts that anyone has ever given us. This is a safe place. You've gotten bad gifts before. You've been a little bit disappointed, a little bit resentful, maybe angry at the gift giver, right? Like we can admit this together, can't we? And so why are all the teenagers are nodding their heads? And so, okay, I'm glad someone is on board with me. Listen, there was a Christmas when I was in high school. Um, 
I got this package from a distant sort of relation. This wasn't like a close family member, um, not even a blood relative, just a distant relation. And so I open it, and in this package is this odd, weird faux leather jacket that I never asked for. I never hinted at needing a jacket. Um, I don't know why this seemed like it was reflective of me as a person or anything I would ever want as a 17-year-old. Like, it was a fake leather. It was like this weird um, kind of model design. Kind of like you would wear this if you were on the wrong side of Checkpoint Charlie in the 60s, okay, to give you, like, a mental picture. And so I had, like, this undercover Stasi agent vibe when I put put it on, um, which was not in vogue in the late 90s. And so it might be now. And so I don't understand. I don't understand the thought process that led to this being purchased by anyone, but mostly by (laughs) this person that bought this for me. I didn't need it. I didn't want it. I never wore it, okay? Um, It just sat there. And who would give me this? No one that knew me No one that was concerned about what I wanted, certainly no one that had listened to me or had seen me dress, or anyone maybe dress, but here it was. Here, Here was this jacket. And so I think a lot of times when we go to God and we think about going to him in prayer and how he's gonna respond to us, there is certainly an element of us. It's like, man, I don't know that God's gonna show up. I don't know that he's gonna love me. And we have that kind of theodicy tension of God and suffering. I also think there's a more casual struggle that we have. Maybe casual is the wrong word, but, but maybe less intense struggle with the Lord where we kind of expect him to give gifts like I got. Maybe we don't have the, 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 the scars of a pastor. Like, man, I don't know if God's going to show up. Maybe we're like, no, I, I understand a loving father. I just think God might be out of touch. I don't know that he gives good gifts. I mean, it's great that we can go to him and ask for stuff, but I don't really want the church stuff. I want the good stuff. And our expectation of the Lord is that he's going to give us gifts that don't really make a difference in our lives. Um, Maybe that he would give us gifts that we would never ask for, that we would never use, that we would never want. And he's he's like the out-of-touch great aunt that's just sending odd trinkets and socks. And so it never really occurs to us to pray like our life depends on it because we feel like the Lord is sort of out of touch and a bit churchy. And so what we want to do is we want to go and see how God gives us gifts, how God responds as a loving father, what that looks like and why it is good for us to trust him. So we're just going to do three verses today. Um, and we're going to take a look at God as a loving father. And again, it is so important that we understand that the foundational element of prayer rests entirely on who God is. Because prayer in and of itself is an act of dependence on him. Prayer is an acknowledgement that we bring very little to the table in our ability to meet our needs, in our ability to fix what is broken, in our ability to understand what it means to follow Christ. In everything that we have, prayer is a recognition and an exercise that we are dependent on God for everything that we need. And the reason that his character is so important is because it is what allows prayer to be a safe place. So it allows prayer to be a place that we can go and trust and be expectant of good things. It's a place where we meet the goodness of our Father. And so let's pick it up here in in verse 10. So 
Remember, Jesus had just told them, knock and it will be given. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be open. It's that idea of shameless persistence. He says, four, everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? And so he's going to paint a picture of an earthly father. Because he says, hey, anybody who seeks the Lord is going to be answered. Anyone who asks is going to receive. And he says, listen, here's how God works. He says, what father amongst you would give you, and scorpion and um, fish and egg and stone seem very random, don't they? There is actually a reason for that, and there's a teaching method that's happening in there. And so when he says, who would give you a scorpion or a stone, really what you need to do is contrast that with what the child asked for. So he asked for fish and an egg. Okay, so in that time, and in our time too, these, these kind of, there's a connotation to both of those. A fish was food, it was sustenance, it was something that was needed, right? It was something that was good. An egg was actually pretty versatile. You could do a lot with an egg, right? It was useful. You could certainly cook it. You could use it as an ingredient. It was an indication of kind of an agricultural ability to move and do things. And so what he's doing here is he's contrasting the desires underneath the ask, With the fish, there's an ask for something good. With an egg, there's an ask for something useful. Do you understand? So then you look at what would not be given. He says, no good father would ever give someone a scorpion when they ask for a fish. Here's another way of putting that. No good father is ever going to give you something harmful. No good father would ever intentionally give you something that would hurt you. And I know some of you are old enough, you're like, I don't know, my dad gave me lawn darts. So what does that say? So like, just... (laughs) In theory, no good father, I knew this side of the room would laugh. You guys can Google it later. Um, No good father is going to give you something that's going to be harmful to you. Say God doesn't give you things that will hurt you. Contrast the egg and the stone. A stone is useless in the context of food. Okay? Now you can throw it at people, you can maybe grind some stuff with it, but the picture that Jesus is trying to paint here is that no good father gives harmful gifts and no good father gives useless gifts. And a lot of times, I think even subconsciously, we apply or have some cynicism towards the gifts of the Lord and assume, wonder, doubt God's goodness and God's usefulness. Is God really good? Is God really in touch with what I need? Like, does God understand 4G? Is it 5G now? Does God get it? Like, is he dialed in? I don't know that he is. He's still kind of analog. And we question the usefulness of God and the goodness of God. And in this word picture that seems really random, Jesus is teaching two very important points about the way that God gives gifts, that we can trust God to give us what we need, right? And even in verse 10, he says, if you ask, you will find. Here's what we need to be careful. We need to understand this. This is not prosperity gospel. This is not the reason that you don't have a car is because you have not prayed the right way. That's not what Jesus is saying. That's not the way God works. What he's saying is when you go to God, you will find what you need and you will find God's goodness. And we talked about this throughout the Lord's Prayer, right? So much of how God answers our prayers by giving us what we really need. Not what we want, but what we really need. And we've said we don't always understand the how he's going to do it, but we understand who is going to do it, right? It's the who, not the how. And so when it says ask and you'll find, it's an invitation into finding the life that God has given. 
Because here's the second point that we see here. We can trust God to give us good things. God can be trusted to be good to us. Think about all of the ways the gifts of God have reflected his goodness in your life. Think about the way, and I love this because we're going to see it in verse 13. Primarily the lens that Jesus is talking about here are the spiritual gifts of the Lord. These gifts that are spiritual in nature. Not that God isn't a practical God. Not that he doesn't show up and help pay bills. Not that he doesn't give us food and shelter. And really, if we live in this country in all likelihood more than we need, right? But even more importantly than that, God is good to us in the spiritual gifts that he gives us. And I want us to think about the way that God's gifts are superior to what the world would say is a good father. Because remember, he says an earthly father, an earthly father understands not to give harmful or useless gifts to his children, right? He says, if an earthly father understands that, how much more, and this is a very common Jewish technique of teaching, it's a how much more technique. If this is true, then how much more is this true? He says, if an earthly father, if an imperfect person who is not perfectly good, who is not sovereign, who's not holy, if a broken earthly father can still be good to his children, how much more is a heavenly father who is perfect without sin, created his children, how much more is God going to give you good things? If broken, sinful people understand the concept of gifts and good things, how much more is a heavenly father going to understand the types of gifts that you need? And as a people, we understand gift giving, and some of us are better than others. Um, so my youngest son, Sawyer, loves to give gifts to people. He loves to gift people things. It doesn't matter what it is, who they are. If he, if he just thinks you might like it, he's just going to give it to me. Here, take this. Um, so we had somebody send us some stuff, and something didn't quite fit the right way. And he's like, I know somebody that would like this. Just instantly, he understands how to give gifts. He's eight. Nobody taught him that. He just understands that this is a way to bring joy to people and, and goodness to people. Okay, so if we as people have this hardwired understanding of gift giving, the Father who created us in heaven is going to have wisdom and insight and a desire for us to have good things beyond what we can possibly imagine. So think about the goodness of God and how he gives us gifts and contrast that with the gifts of the world. Anytime we think about gifts, they bring joy, they have use, and they are for our good, right? So what happens, though, is outside of the goodness of God, sin has a way of creeping in and, and twisting good desires just a little bit. And so I'm not saying it's bad for you to want stuff. It can be. But the stuff itself is not evil. The desires behind it get evil really quickly, though, don't they? And so contrast how God gives gifts and how the world gives gifts. The gifts of the world do have absolutely the ability to bring us joy and happiness for a minute, right? But let me ask you a question. What did you get for Christmas last year? It takes you a minute, right? Because the reality is the thing that you thought that would complete your life last year is now probably in a closet collecting dust somewhere. When we moved um, this summer from Indiana, we had so many boxes that had not been open in years. They were just sitting in our basement. And guess what happened? When I opened them and we're going through it, I remember when I really wanted this. I thought this would change my life. I haven't seen it in five years. I just haven't even looked at it. So here's, here's the reality. Earthly gifts don't last. Earthly gifts don't last. Spiritual gifts are eternal, right? Spiritual gifts are eternal. Earthly gifts fade away. 
Earthly gifts don't have the ability to fix the deep longings of your soul. They just don't. I know you think like when you get the new like whatever, that's, it doesn't work, right? Because they're going to come out with a new version the next year. Earthly gifts don't fix the deep longings of our soul. Earthly gifts rarely sustain suffering. When you have a cancer diagnosis, it really doesn't matter what kind of car you drive, right? Like it doesn't, it doesn't fix the problem. And so here's what God does in his goodness. God gives us spiritual gifts that sustain our souls that work in our hearts, that outlast suffering, they also overflow into the world and spread his kingdom. And so this week, um, Brick and I actually got to Zoom with David Yubua, who is uh, one of our missions partners that we support in Ghana. And although he's in Ghana, he has, in his ministry, have been convicted to look into what's going on in the South Sudan. And so he went to Uganda, and on the Ugandan border with the South Sudan, there is a UN um, refugee camp called Camp Rhino. Camp Rhino houses, um, based on UN statistics, a little bit over 120,000 people that have fled the South Sudan. The, the town that we were just in, in Indiana, is about 60,000. So three times the size of the town that I spent six years in is a refugee camp that is 80% women and children, okay? 80% women and children, according to UN statistics. The reality on the ground is there's probably more people there. Um, tell me that the Sears catalog is going to fix the deep longings of these people's souls. That's an insane concept. It's an insane concept, but that's how we apply it to ourselves, okay? How do we find hope? How do we find life? How do we find meaning and salvation in the midst of a broken world where there are 120,000 people, 80% of which are women and children, fleeing destruction, war, genocide, atrocities that I can't talk about from the stage because there are kids in the room. How are we gonna fix that with stuff? We're not. We're not. The good news is we have a God that understands that. And he gives us and he gives these people the gift of the Holy Spirit. He gives us the gift of salvation. He gives us spiritual gifts that we can share and advance God's kingdom in places like the South Sudan and in places like North Fulton County and in places like Brazil and in places like Hungary. And so, listen, when we say God can be trusted to be good to us, we have to take off the lens of Western capitalism and assume that God's goodness is the same thing as Madison Avenue goodness, right? You understand what I'm saying? And so, when we go to God in prayer, we we can trust him to be good to us beyond what culture has told us is good. It's why we can, with a straight face, go to dark places of the world and say the gospel of Jesus is enough. It's why we can go to affluent places and say the gospel of Jesus is better than what you think is going to save you. It's why we can go into our homes and our jobs and our neighborhoods and say when we pray, we can trust that God is enough because God doesn't give us gifts the way that the world gives us gifts. God has something better for us. God has something that's going to transcend the brokenness of this world. God has something that is going to lift us up in hope and decrease oppression and sin. God's gifts last forever because he's a good father and he wants to give us good things. And so when we pray, when we knock, when we seek, when we ask, God shows up and gives us more than we expect every single time, every single time. I think it's important that we understand the type of gifts that God gives and the purpose that he gives them. It's not just for our joy, it's also for the advance of his kingdom. And so when we pray as a church like our life depend on it, we go expecting God to give us good things. 
And he's given us good things. He's given us a community of people that deeply loves each other. He has given us more than we need. He's also given us individual gifts to use for his glory and his mission, right? Like, you have been given good gifts from God. You've been given the ability to serve. You've been given the ability, some of us, to teach. We've been given the ability to pray. We have been given these passions and desires from our Heavenly Father, not just for our joy, but for the advance of his kingdom. So the beauty of God's economy is the gifts that he give us don't just terminate with us. They spread out and increase the joy of his people. So when we go to God and when we pray, we can expect that God is going to meet us with good gifts because we have a father that loves us. We have a father that gives us gifts in a way that transcends the way that we give gifts. Because again, if we as broken people understand what it means to give good things, how much more does our heavenly father understand what it means to give us good gifts? So we can go and we can trust and we can ask and God's gonna show up and we can believe that. So how does that happen, right? So how can we understand God as a loving father? Let's, let's read verse 13. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Okay, this is huge because this is one of the first references explicitly to the Holy Spirit and the gospel, and it's intentionally connecting you to this reality we see in the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit descends on God's people, right? That there's this gift that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, he, not in it, will be given as a gift to God's people. And that when we have the Holy Spirit, there will be this aspect of the person of God indwelling in our hearts, right? That gives us conviction and encouragement and discernment, right? And so we actually have an active God who is living in us as a gift because what? Because God is a good father. So here's the question. How do we do that? How do we, how do we receive gifts from God? How do we know God as a father? How does this happen? This is the message of Christianity, and this is the foundation of what we do here. As we are closing out this series where we see that God is a good father, we have to answer the question, who are God's children and how do we know him that way? If this is true, if we have a God who gives us good things and wants our best and wants to give us himself, how do we know that God? What makes us children of God? Is it because we're here? Is it because we're socially conservative? Is it because we're American? Is it because we want a mission trip? Is it because we put an offering box in the offering boxes that are going to be multicolored next week? Like, what is it? Like, what, what makes us children of God? How do we have access to a God this good? We have to know the answer to this. We have to celebrate this. We have to have confidence in this. We have to know, trust, and celebrate that the reason that we can know God as a father is because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God's children are his children because of his grace and his mercy. Because he loves us, he sent his son, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, to be fully man and fully God, to live a perfect life here on earth, to die on the cross in our place for our sins, where he would raise from the dead three days later and ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father. And one day we believe he's coming back to usher in an eternal kingdom where sin will not exist, where hope will spring eternal and we will be in the presence of our creator forever. So how do we know God as father? Through faith in Jesus Christ. As Jesus is preaching on prayer, the very foundational element that he continues to point back to is who God is and who that makes us. 
If God is a father, how do we become his children? It is through our faith in Jesus Christ. And because of our faith in Jesus Christ, everything changes. Everything changes. Our sins are forgiven. We have hope. We experience healing. We understand the world in a different way because we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, right? And so God has given us this gift. God has made us his children because of the work of Jesus Christ. We have access to know him as a father. And so when we pray, we have to go back to this foundation over and over and over again, and it should never get old. We should always find hope and encouragement as we close this out that when we go to God, we go to him as a children would go to a loving father. Why? Because of who we are in Jesus Christ. And because of who we are in Jesus Christ, we have access to a God that loves us and sees us as his. So we can trust him. We can trust him to give us good gifts. We can trust him to use us to advance his kingdom. We can trust him with what is happening in Africa and what is happening in Brazil and what is happening in Atlanta. Because God is a father, we can trust him. And it is all springing from the foundation of who we are in Jesus Christ. And so, we celebrate communion every week because this is the foundation of who we are, of how we know grace and forgiveness, of why we trust God as a loving father, of, of how we view the world the way that we do. It's because of this. And so every week we celebrate communion and we want to take it seriously and we want to find a deep joy in this reality. This is why we give to global missions, not just because we want to see social change happen, but because we truly believe that there is eternal life to be found and shared and spread as we continue to seek the good of God's people. This is why we do small groups and community. This is why we share life together, because God has made us a family through his son, Jesus Christ. Everything we do, we do because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. That is the foundation of our faith. That is the foundation of what makes us children of God. And it is why we don't have to wonder if God is going to answer us. We don't have to wonder if he's gonna give us good gifts. We don't have to wonder if he's gonna show up and move. We don't have to worry that we're bothering him and we're, we're somehow this second-class contractual obligation. He's like, oh, well, they prayed the prayer that one time. I guess I've gotta give you some groceries. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. Because again, if, if we understand gift giving, how much more does God? And so today, we are going to go and remind ourselves of the primary gift that God has given us, his son, Jesus Christ. And this week, as we prepare our hearts for the season of Advent that's coming in a couple of weeks, we're going to pray like our lives depend on it. And we're going to expect God to give us good gifts. Gifts that are good for us and also gifts that, that overflow out of ourselves into the world around us. So if you would pray with me as we prepare to celebrate what it means to be children of God. God, we thank you that you are a God who is engaged and aware of what we need, that you understand what is good for us, that you understand what gifts mean, how they operate, and what we need. And so, God, we pray that we would be a people that pray. We would be a people that pray with an understanding of your goodness, with a trust in your love for us, and with a celebration that we have been adopted because of the death and resurrection of Jesus into your family. So God, help us to pray shamelessly. Help us to pray with confidence and boldness. And God, we just ask that you would remind us of your goodness this week. Show us the good gifts that you give us, both the practical and the spiritual. Bring us into a rhythm where our reflex is to always ask you because you are the source of all things good. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.